Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. everything we do today and touch us strengthen us hallelujah for we've come together with the cause of purpose and we want God to bless it hallelujah so let's pray God of heaven we love you holy God father we ask you right now in the name of Jesus Christ Lord God we thank you most of all that father we need you God we need your anointing we need your direction Lord God and guidance Lord God and we pray right now that your holy anointing, Lord God, would be placed upon us, Lord God, that you could direct our thoughts, our intentions, our actions, Lord God, that you would open our minds, our hearts, Lord God, that we could open and receive, Lord God, and comprehend, Lord God. I praise you for what you're going to do this day. Touch us, Lord God. Strengthen us, Lord God. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy, and we thank you this day, Lord God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Hallelujah. Usually at this time of the year, um, it being December, I normally try to say, speak just about Christmas. Um, but I do want to just share some thoughts about Christmas. But really what I want to speak on and for a title, I want to use just the New Jerusalem. And we... And I understand this. This is what it we say when we say we're, we want to die and go to heaven. And I understand that thought. But when you read in the Bible where we, our ultimate end will be the new Jerusalem. We say we're going to heaven, but we're not. We're going to the new Jerusalem. When you read in the Bible, for John said, and I'm going to read it in a few minutes that he saw it, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and that would be the eternal dwelling place of the saints. And I understand the term. I've lived with it. For what I relate to it is, of all the turmoil, the hardships, and the face that we face here on life, the new Jerusalem will be heaven to us. So I understand the term, heaven. But I just want to use for a title, The New Jerusalem. And I remember Brother um, McGee, when he was here, and I just sort of admire one thing he said. He said he wanted to to speak, and he only had, um, how did he put it? It was something. He only had one point. It was just going to take him a few minutes to get there. And I guess that's sort of, I will just borrow his little thought there. But Christmas, as we look at it, and Christmas to what it has got to is just like, wow, what does really, what does Christmas even mean anymore? 
It is just so far from where it started. And I believe that on the day that it originated, if you look at it from a biblical point of view, the Lord set a precedent that day that forever would be settled in heaven for who, and you think about it, the God of everything, when he was born and came to this earth, who was the first ones that it was announced to? Now think about it. Did he go to the king of Israel? Did he say, get the rulers of my people together? Get the kings, the priests, the leaders of the church? No. He told the angel, the spirit of God directed the angel, and he said, you go right outside of the city of David, and there you're going to find some shepherds. The great shepherd said, you go to shepherds, and you tell them that the God of everything has just come in human flesh. And that set a precedent right then that that's who God has come to. He would be the shepherd, the great shepherd. God was going to care. And it says they went to him by night. And when you read of that, at this time of the year, shepherds grazed their flock around the clock. They just, at parts, they did them in sections. So this was literally in the middle of the night that the angels, that's, I believe that's one reason why the shepherds were so afraid. But anyway, they came to them and told them, the God that you've read about, that in the Old Testament over 330 prophecies has come to pass. Luke tells us this, that this God had came and they would find him in a manger but I believe our world has got so comfortable with Christmas. And to me, this is my thought. As long as they can keep God a baby in a manger, they're satisfied. They don't want to view God in any other way. He is not the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is not the one that's going to have the final authority. As long as I can view him a babe in a manger, then he has no authority over me. And that's why I think every year the world will tolerate Christmas. That's my view, that they just would say, it's just Christmas, we're just, we're just celebrating the birth and only the birth of Jesus is what we'll celebrate. But to me, from the Bible's point of view, it truly is the greatest love story that has ever been told because the God that created us and when Adam and Eve sinned that would give himself in human flesh to redeem man back to himself is truly the greatest story ever told. Literally, to me, it is. What God went through, went through, literally, we, I truly believe, will never, ever, ever be able to comprehend what God went through in this lifetime, never. I don't really believe that we'll fully ever be able to comprehend until we get to the new Jerusalem what God literally went through to redeem us from sin. But he did go through it. He came for that purpose. It is just that man has just twisted and turned at every walk of life. When every fork of the road that I come to, God would say, go right. I would go left. And you think God would just take and thump me off the map, 
but God would not. And it's just, and just pardon this reference, but years ago there was this guy that jumped motorcycles, and I mean, you take evil, evil Knievel, just if you don't like that phrase, it was, he was just a dirt bike guy years ago. And this bike that he jumped, literally, it wasn't even made to jump a curb. You know, you talk about the, how he broke so many bones. Well, I would agree with that. Lord, look what he jumped on. This thing was just made to ride on the street, and he's jumping with it. But when guys got where they was literally jumping, I'm speaking of jumping over 150 foot consistently. There was one guy, I won't call his name, but he was just a lunatic. He was, and, and don't let phrases like that think I'm poking fun. These guys are honored when you call them a lunatic. I'm telling you, I'm not throwing rocks at them. I mean, they, that's a badge of honor to them. So he just got where he would um, just do crazy stuff. And they would, there is now... The people, the guys, there's just so much that goes into motorcycle jumping. It's just everything is done. There's just so much engineering that goes into it. The ramp, the degree, the, the degree at the end of the ramp, how far you go, how much you hit the brake while you're in the air. It is just so much. The wind, how much it blows, it can blow you. Literally, if there's a crosswind, everything is considered. But this guy would just jump. They would be trying to figure out. All of a sudden, here comes this guy flying through the air, and they'd tell him, you can't do that. But he would do it anywhere. They would have a, a takeoff and a landing ramp. Well, he would jump, and right at the end, if you're supposed to hit it at 70, you know, 75's a little bit better. He would overjump the ramp and land hard and just crashes, as he'll say, and it just, pardon me, it just crashes brains out. So my point is this. Later, in his motorcycle career, he made a video, and guess what he titled it? The Hard Way. He has been trying to be told, people in the industry has told him year after year after year, you are doing it the wrong way. To finally it just dawned on him. I have been doing it the wrong way. So he finally fessed up and made this video. And in thinking about that, I thought, here's the word of God, and I'll leave you out of it, but I could put Kenneth the hard way. And that's when you read in the Bible what man went through, but what gives me hope is that I also read of a God that I never quit, that when I make the wrong turn, it's just like the GPS. It just says, I'll just recalculate the move you just made. What you sow, you're going to reap. But I ain't going to let you go. I will stay with you. And if you go in the fire, look to your right. Because that's where I'm going to be. I'll go in the fire with you. So that is what God is like. And in Genesis 2.15, just read it on the screen if you want. This was, this was God's ultimate goal for man. He said, the Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, that was God's intention. He literally put 
Adam in the garden, the Bible says to dress it. He put it in there to dress it. In other words, everything was perfect. He put him in there and looked like all you had to do is like we would say, if you planted an apple tree, there was no bugs, there was no disease. It's just like, you don't even have to water the thing. You just go out there and God said, I'll provide everything. You just go out there and pick the apples. That's all you've got to do. You just dress it. That's all you've got to do. This is your responsibility. And in three, look at, I'm going to read chapter three, 17 through 19. And unto Adam, he says, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. I'm skipping a lot because you know it. Because thou hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, and dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Now, after the fall, after they, I don't know what the enemy really tempted Adam and Eve with, but it was like, I'm sure the fruit that they had, everything was there, and I don't know if the enemy said, look, this is fruit, you need nourishment. Here's nourishment for your body. Take and eat this, I don't know. And if they might have reasoned for themselves, well, he's right. I need fruit to eat. And I take and eat this fruit. I don't know. But God told him, said, look, you have done, you have committed a commandment I told you not to do. So out of the ground you was taken, and all of a sudden where you had no trouble farming, all of a sudden you're going to fight this all the days of your life until the end, and then you're going back to the ground whence you was taken. That's what God told him. Then he tells him, he said he's going to do this and he's going to sweat. And then look with me in verse 23 at the end. And the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. And listen, this is God. Imagine how hard this must have been. So God drove, drove out the man and he placed him at the east and he placed at the east of the, um, of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, this wasn't God saying, you know what? You've did this. I'm going to drop kick you out of here. You're done. This was God in his mercy. Adam had contaminated a pure body with sin and God said, there is no way I will let you get back in, partake of the tree of life, and live this way in a sinful state forever. Some would say, you're Christians, God tells you what you can and cannot do. They, to me, that is looking at it wrong. The liberals would tell us, well, look what God did. They prevented him going back into paradise. And I say, no, in my eyes, pardon me if you think this is foolishness, you're looking at it wrong. This is mercy. Would I want to live in a state of sinfulness the rest of eternity? Absolutely not. God is saying, I must prevent you. The Bible tells us that God did not destroy the tree of life. 
What he did was prevent Adam and Eve from going back in to the tree of life. He stopped them from going back in. But the thing of it is, God said, the ground, the Bible tells us, I have cursed the ground. Now, I look at that as two ways. The ground that he literally planted in, he was going to fight all the days of his life. Meaning, when you go out there to plant, it's not going to be as easy as it was you go out there and pick fruit. You are going to work. In other words, you're going to have something come up on your forehead, and the Bible calls it sweat. You are going to work for what you get. The second point, from out of the ground you was taken, and you're going to return to dust. So it wasn't the ground. It was this ground he was going to face, and he was going to fight all the days of his life. It was his flesh that he was going to fight all the days of his life. But as of right now, we know that he had to do this. He had to overcome, as Paul said, every day I must overcome this body. That's what he had to do. He had to overcome this. It was mercy. God said, I will not let you do this. Now, if you will, I want you to turn with me. I want to make one more point. I want to go to the book of Ezekiel. The Bible talks about in Ezekiel... We learned about this growing up in um, Sunday school in the 37th chapter. The Valley of the Dry Bones. Now, most people just think of Ezekiel, they think, oh man, what a weird dude. You know, he's either laying on one side or the other, and that's true. The Bible does speak of that he laid 390 days on his left side, 40 days on his right side. The people of Israel and the people of Judah was going to bear the iniquity. The Bible tells that, that they did that. Both shall bear the iniquity. They're going to do that. But Ezekiel, this is a vision that God gave him. And I think it was, and I do believe, it was a literal vision to Israel. But I want to make a spiritual point that I believe regarding us as the last days that we can gain from this. And I want to read, it's a little bit lengthy reading, 1 through 10. And coming to church this morning, I don't know why I thought of this, but I just, I won't tell you the sweet sister's name, but years ago, I will tell you this, years ago, the sister has went on, um, she's passed from this life, but uh, years ago, I had the service, and after church, she come to me and told me, she said, I really appreciate what you had to say. I said, well, thank you very much. And she said, um, I really do love a lot of Bible reading. So I said, okay. <laughs> so keeping with tradition, I'm going to read. I'm going to read 1 through 10. So grab a breath and let's go. Now, this was, this was a vision. That, keep it in mind. This was a vision that the Spirit of God gave to Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about and behold, there was very many in the open valley and lo, they were dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. 
And he said unto me, Prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring upon flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now, I believe that this is literally to us right now a literal spiritual meaning of God bringing his children home. And what I mean from that is those that have backslid, that has known this truth, that has walked away, or the enemy, for whatever reason, just ever how you would want to label it, I believe that God is going to bring people home. And just as natural Israel, that we have seen that God is going to bring natural Israel together, he is doing that absolutely right now. Just as God is doing that in the natural, I believe in the spiritual, he is going to do that to his church. So I have just a few points that I want to make. Verse 3, he said, And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Now, Ezekiel gave the answer that we must all give because when it comes to who and how I am to never ever and I'll leave you out of this but I am to never tell someone that they have went too far or I think God can't save them I am way way out of line for if Ezekiel gave the right answer for if Ezekiel would have said Lord I tell you what I think maybe this half of the pile can live and this half, I don't know. But Ezekiel said, God, you truly do know if these bones can live or not. That is the answer that we must give. We must say, God, you know the end from the beginning. So I don't know who's going to be saved, but I know you do. My responsibility is to pray that God you would touch, that you would minister. It doesn't matter if the bones are dry. I, it, I am the one that is called on to pray and to ask God to move that he is going to do it. Now, in verse 4, he said, Prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That is our responsibility. It's to pray. And here's the point. Even if you are praying to dry bones, 
even if you think that you're praying about someone that is literally has a zero chance of coming back. Never. It's not within us. We, God has done too many things in his word that went against all odds, that has conquered too many battles for me to stand and say, God, I don't think this one can ever come back. Never should I say that. Never should I doubt God. And just, even if I'm looking at it, something, as the Bible says, that is so dry, it, what it's meaning here to me is it literally will never again have any life in it. Ezekiel's saying it is literally dry, dry. It's done, it's over. It's to the point of rotting. But he is saying, God, you know. I don't, but you know. So he's, he's telling in 5 and 6 says... Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, I will cause breath to enter in you, and you shall live. Now, five and six is God's ultimate will to me. I want you to notice the order that he does this. Five, it says, I will cause the Lord God, and thus saith the Lord God, this is what he tells him, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And then he said, I will lay sinews upon you and will bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. God said, my ultimate goal is to put my spirit in you first. That's my ultimate goal. But then after that is when he goes through the process, I will give uh, beauty, so to speak, to your bones. I will cover your bones, but my ultimate goal is to put my spirit, my breath in you. That was the goal. But to me, to me, when that what he t- that, that's what he tells them, prophesy to them. But verse 8, this is me. I'm an Old Testament guy. This is the way I look at this. But what God, that's why I say five and six, this is what God's ultimate goal was. But what God actually did, to me, he reverted back to creation. First he formed man of the dust of the ground. Then he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. Because look at the order that it actually happened. I said five and six is God's ultimate goal. But the way he actually did it is verse eight. And lo, I beheld the sinews and the flesh, the tendons and the muscles came upon them and the skin that covered that. But yet there was no breath in them. It's not enough for someone to think they can come to church and have the beauty to have their bones covered, but still have no breath in them. We all need the Spirit of God, regardless of what. It's not enough for someone to just come back and say, Look, I know I've been gone. I've been so dry. God has touched me. I feel His presence, but I'm going back. That's not enough. That's not the ultimate will of God. The Bible tells us they came, they had their tendons, the muscles, the skin. They had their beauty back, is the way I would put it. But the Bible clearly points out, but there was no breath in them. And then he tells me, he told the prophet, he says, you must prophesy to the wind. And then he tells about the winds, the four winds, literally. It doesn't matter which way a person leaves a church, why they left, that's, that's God's business, not mine. But the point of it is for us to pray. 
Verse 8 says, but yet there was no breath. And then he tells them, come from the four winds and breathe. Breathe upon these slain that they may live. Now make, breathe upon these slain. Now, when you read about that, what Ezekiel was referring to, these was literally slain by the enemy. These bones that the vision that God showed him of, they was literally God's people that the enemy had killed in war. And God said, I will breathe upon these that have been slain by the enemy. I will bring them back to life. I will put my breath in them, put my spirit in them, that they may live. And truly, like I say, if we believe this to be God's time and God's timing, then everyone, everyone deserves a chance. Even those, we should never, our job, our responsibility is to pray and never doubt what God can do. Because he can save, and I'm to never to cut no one off at the knees and think God can't do it. God told Ezekiel, he says, you pray, you prophesy, you preach, you just look and you do it. No matter if you're literally praying to dry bones and when you see beauty come back, don't you stop. You keep praying. You pray to my spirit has just saturated them and filled them with my anointing. You have got to pray literally till you see my spirit in them. Then, as the Bible says, you will see them stand up on their feet as a great and mighty army. So that's what we have got to do. That's what we've got to do. And come, he said, come from the four winds. Now, I want you to go with me to the uh, Revelations. 22, Revelations chapter 22. I'm sorry, I'm going to start. Well, you can go ahead and turn it if you want to. I got one place I want to just stop for. I'm going to stop. I just got one verse I'm going to read in the first chapter. But Revelation's got 22 chapters, 404 verses, 12,000 words. And out of the 404 verses, there's 278 verses that make reference to the Old Testament. And to me, what that says, literally, and this is not because I'm an Old Testament guy, this was God barring from his self when he anointed Joel. And all God is saying is this, is that. All the 330-something references that I told you about in the Old Testament. Because what is revelation? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is God revealing God. Not a God. God revealing who he is. So that's why there's 278 references to the Old Testament. So in Revelation 1, I just want to make one reference to it. And from this is Revelation 1 and 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, out of the 404 verses and only five verses in, the first three, he just hits us, hits us hard, tells us what it is. The four, fourth verse 
is grace and peace to the church. The fifth verse is the one I read. Who is the faithful witness? Meaning he was the faithful witness. He carried through even in, even in the garden through his flesh. He said, I just wish this cup could pass from me. But he was the faithful martyr. He came. He went to the cross. He was a Passover lamb. He went through it. The Bible says he was the faithful witness. And the phrase that I truly love, the first begotten of the dead. And literally, literally, in only five verses in, he says, you tell my beloved that they don't have to fear death because I am the first begotten of the dead. And I'll use Lazarus as, a, as an example in the flesh, it hurt Jesus when Lazarus died because the Bible tells us about God in his flesh weeping. So God rose Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus would die again. So Jesus was a faithful witness. They, he came, they crucified him. His flesh died. Three days later, the spirit quickened his body he rose again. He was not the first one to be raised from the dead, but he was the first one to be raised from the dead that would never die again. He said, so you tell my beloved, I am the first begotten of the dead. So when it comes times for their life, their flesh to be over, I've already been there. I'm the first begotten. And you tell my beloved, they will be the second is the way I would look at it. So now, in the 22nd is where I've took a long ways to get here. But I want to read the first um, six verses. Revelation. I don't know what I told you. Did I say 22nd or 21? I said 22? Well, I wasn't but one chapter off. 21. Revelation 21. Okay, Revelation 21, 1 through 6. The Bible says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he would dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Now, one thing that we, we've heard, and this varies a little depending on the distance, but as much as this pains me to say, I will say it. As much as I like numbers, it really, it really doesn't matter the size of heaven or whatever the new Jerusalem turns out to be. 
but most agree it's a 1,500-mile cube, meaning, you know, just length and width and height, 1,500. Um, the Bible tells us the outside walls is somewhere around 216 feet thick. Um, so it's going to be a massive place. And in the chapter 21, most people believe that at this point in time, God dealing with a human race on earth is over. Everything is done. The millennium's over. Like I said, you know, everybody might not agree with this, but most everyone does. Everything is over. It is time to start eternity. So God is going to deal with us. John says he sees three things, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. Now, there's ways you can look at new. Does it mean that God's going to completely destroy the earth and heavens? I don't know. The Bible tells us that when the earth was flooded, Peter tells us that the earth perished. But we know the earth was flooded and basically didn't perish. New could mean completely renovated. I don't know. Really, that's, in truth, that's beside the point. That's God's business. I, I don't know. The Bible says that when the Lord puts his spirit in us, we are new creatures. I look at the same person, but I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. So if I will yield this vessel to the Spirit of God, I will be a new creature. If I yield this vessel to the flesh, I won't recognize myself. But this word says, and this word won't lie, that if I will yield my vessel through the Holy Ghost, that I will be a new creature in Christ Jesus. So I tend to believe that. So John says he sees the three things. So I would tend to believe that. Now, one of the most, and here's another thing that, that we say, you know, and it's, you can't really just pick out one verse and say, this is my mo most favorite verse because it's, the Bible is so full of favorite verses, but this truly, truly is one of my most favorite, is verse 3. And he said, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. He tells them where he says he's going to dwell with them. That is straight from John 1.14, where he says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now make no mistake about it. This was Emmanuel. The Bible tells us God manifested in the flesh. And then the Bible tells us the tabernacle of God. When you go back and read of the tabernacle, it was just God's dwelling place. God said, I will dwell between the cherubims. But the thing about it, that was always a temporary place. And what man has done, he just said, the tabernacle of God is with man. He would dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And this is what I like. And God himself shall be with them. It's not like who is God. 
all the bickering that man does. Who is God? What do you think of God? He just tells us, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. It's just settled. God himself. It says the one out of the throne says this. It's just simplified. God says, you're going to be my people, and I will be your God. That's just the way it's going to be. This was God. Now, number four, that's why it says that this is literally heaven to us. It said, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, I know one individual that I have read after. In fact, he writes, um, if he still does, a lot years ago when we did Sunday school, adult Sunday school lessons and we followed the, the Word of Flame Sunday school lessons, he actually was a writer on this, so I'm confident to read after him. But where the Bible says that, that there, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, this is his thought on that. He believes that there will be, now this is his, just him now, he believes there will be, as we would put it, tears in heaven. He believes the reference here is tears from sorrow and regret is what God is going to take. He believes that they will be tears of joy and rejoicing in heaven, not tears of sorrow and regret. That's what God is going to take. That's just his thought on that. But anyway, number four describes a world that we have never experienced or known, but it's what the Bible says. And this is what he that sat upon the said uh, uh, on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. He said unto me, and this is what I like. It's almost like God put, we're made in the image. It's almost like God put that sense of humor. Maybe I'm looking at too much. For John is so here. John is just so astounded. And it's like he's just looking around and God says, Hey, right. Look. Look in verse 5. And he said unto me, Right. John was so astounded that God had to tell him, look, you need to be writing this down. Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I want to give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Now, the Bible says this phrase, the Bible tells us, it says, Behold, now, now is the day of salvation. But one thing that, that we face is all we know is now. That's why time fascinates me so much. It's because I'm trapped in the now. I can't see yesterday and I can't see tomorrow. And that's why I love God so much because he sees yesterday and tomorrow. And here's the thing. He sees them as right now. So that's why I said I don't have to worry about two weeks from Thursday 
about what's going to be going on. That's why the Bible says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world because God sees everything as of right now. And I can't relate to that. I wish I could understand that better. I understand it in a small sense. But all I know, that's why the Bible says, it says, behold. That means you need to stop and take notice that all you have literally is right now. But God said, I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. Put your trust in me. Because you think you're planning for next year, but I know what's going to be happening for next year. God said, you're doing everything you can, and there's nothing wrong for that. There's nothing wrong with that. But God said, I do know. I see it as right now. So he said that all we have, but God knows. So truly, I will just say this. It's been said food food can only temporarily nurse the body for a while. But God can truly, truly permanently nurse the soul. Truly can. So really, I believe Christmas, and I'll say this in the end. I believe Christmas really comes down, really, and I believe this, what I'm fixing to say. I believe Christmas comes down to who your view of Jesus is. And with that, knowing you as his beloved, I say unto you, Merry Christmas, and may God bless us all. Let's stand. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.